0: I think I'd like to just start with a, a word of prayer, if I could. Would you bow your heads with me? Uh, God, you are a great God. And we're so grateful that we get to lift our hearts up to you and worship. I ask that um, you would wipe away the distractions this morning. There's all kinds of things that pull at our attention. And uh, you want our focus. So I just ask that you would bring that... Um, into into full focus for us right now, it's you, and it's me, and I'm listening to what you might have to say. I ask that you would be present with us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, uh, I want to talk to you about... uh, one of the most important conversations i think jesus had in the scriptures now i've never gone through and ranked jesus's conversations i don't know that i would ever do that i think if i were forced to do it this one would be in the top three somewhere it's um it's a conversation um not like a normal conversation have you ever had a conversation with somebody that kind of changed the way you lived i can think of several different ones in my life that are significant they're different I've had a conversation with somebody where they presented an idea that I had never thought of before. I'd never heard of it, never considered it as a possibility, and it, it, it rung true. And because I decided to listen and hear that, it changed the way that I approached life. And because of that, things were different for me. I've had other conversations where I thought things were going really well. And I did not realize that what I was doing was causing real harm in the relationships that I have. And because I heard and listened to them, I was able to change what I was doing and, and bring about some different healing in that relationship. It's not, it's not the conversation itself. It's that the conversation leads to a different way of living. If you've had a conversation like that in your life... It'll be important for you to keep that in the forefront of your mind as we talk about this story in the scriptures with Nicodemus. Uh, Now, my concern is as soon as I say Nicodemus, some of you will already have in your mind, you'll figure out, you know what we're going to talk about. Because there's a big idea that comes out in that that story. It's this idea that you have to be born again. And, And it gets so much attention and focus, rightly so, because it's true. If you don't have a restart, if you don't start over in your spiritual life with God, your hope of, of anything in this world, of having any value to you at all, is nil. And so because that's in there, it gets, it gets our focus and attention, and we talk about it a lot, and I think we should. It's that important. But I wonder if it would surprise you that that is not the central idea that Jesus is is presenting when he talks with Nicodemus. He's he's, um, addressing something that's going on in their culture that's big. It's a big idea that was happening. Oddly enough, it's happening in our culture, which makes me think our cultures are so radically different that maybe it's not a cultural thing at all. Maybe it's a human nature thing. That there's something going on with us. And if we could understand what Jesus would say, it could possibly change the way we live. So uh, part of the reason I think this is difficult to understand, this conversation with Nicodemus, is it's an ancient Jewish conversation. And that's a problem for me because I'm not Jewish. Most of you are probably not Jewish either. And all of us aren't from an ancient culture, when, when you see this conversation, it opens up with Jesus starting with a metaphor. It's the first thing out of his mouth. He starts with a metaphor. That was normal for them. They, they expected people to talk that way who were in his kind of positions. And we read this section of Scripture, and many times, the way, the way I've heard people talk about this, is they look at Nicodemus' response to Jesus, who uses this metaphor, and they assume right out of the gate that Nicodemus is lost. He has no idea that Jesus is using this metaphor. Here's what I think. I think we're lost. I think Nicodemus was, knew exactly what was going on. He is a highly educated Jewish scholar from a world that was used to being talked to in metaphors. And when Jesus opened up with it, he didn't even flinch. But because of, of the kind of way we've thought about this... We've kind of thought, oh, he's missed the point, and then we get distracted by all of that. And again, the central idea that Jesus was presenting kind of gets by us. It does not get by Nicodemus. And he is confronted with one big question. Will you listen to me, hear what I say, and change the way you live? This morning... The same is true for you and me. Will you listen to the words of Jesus, hear what he has to say, and accept them because it could change the way you live? It's that important. So I want to take you to John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, if you have a cell phone with an app on it, you can pull John chapter 3 up. In verse 1, we're introduced to Nicodemus. We get his credentials. He is highly placed on the Jewish council. This guy is smart. And in verse 2, he opens up the conversation with Jesus, says this, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Now I just want to deal with a couple things that often get said about this section of scripture that I think maybe you're a little misunderstood. Have you ever heard that Nicodemus is coming at night because he's trying to stay undercover and he doesn't want anybody to know what's actually going on? That he's not, he, does, he wants to have this conversation with Jesus on the down low. Here, the truth is um, that these kind of appointments with a rabbi happened in the evening. They did not bother themselves with an individual appointment when they were teaching crowds and groups of people during the day, but you would schedule something like this in the evening. This was common. He's not trying to hide anything. In fact, the other part that we sometimes think is Nicodemus is out there exploring this on his own. Look carefully at that verse. What does it say? Is it I or is it we? It's we. He is there representing a group of people who think like him and are trying to get to the bottom of whatever is going on with Jesus' ministry. Like, they see him doing some stuff, and it's clear in their mind that he's from God, but he is not on their page. He is not showing up and backing what the Pharisees are doing, and they don't get it because he's clearly from God, and in their minds, they are too. So he is there to explore and find out what exactly is your problem, Jesus? What don't you understand? I'm here to figure this out. He's not hiding. There's nothing weird going on. In fact, I suspect he's wicked smart. Because wouldn't you tap somebody to go to a conversation like that who could could gather his wits about them quickly, have an interaction, and then report back wisely all the stuff that was done? That's what I think is happening. And in the second part of the verse, he says this. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. This sounds like a compliment of some sort. But there is a deficiency in it somewhere that Jesus picks up on and he decides that he's going to open up a real conversation. Like if you want to come and talk with me, then let's get into the real thing. And Jesus says this, verse 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And right there, you see that reference to this idea of being born again, that you have to have a fresh start. You have to have a fresh spiritual start. And if you don't, you'll never understand the kingdom of God. But he's telling it as a metaphor, and if I, were to try to, if I were to try to bring this into our culture's language to help you understand what's going on, I would tell it to you this way. Nicodemus just looked at Jesus and said, we can tell by looking at what you're doing, we can see that you're from God. And Jesus turned around and looked at him and said, you don't see at all. You have the wrong reference you have the wrong point of view. In fact, if you don't look at it this way, from the point of a baby, you will not understand what's going on if you're not born again. Now now here, this is where it gets weird because we read verse 4 and people have assumed that Nicodemus gets lost. Jesus is talking about something spiritual that has to happen in your heart and in your life. And Nicodemus starts saying this. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother womb to be born. Now, I, I want to caution you. Because if you've written off Nicodemus as not getting it right now, I think what you don't understand is that he just answered Jesus back using the same metaphor that Jesus used. Jesus opens up with this metaphor about being born again. And Nicodemus, actually he understands exactly what's going on. He understands the implications of what is being said. He simply disagrees with Jesus, thinks there's a flaw in his thinking. Because there is a different way that the Pharisees thought about living. And he hears Jesus say this. And he goes, you you can't be right. You can't be right. Because as a Pharisee, I believe that I have control over everything in my spiritual world. I control how righteous I am. I control how good I am. And based on how I control that... I I set myself up to be deserved to be blessed by God, to have earned his favor. I'm in control of that. And this metaphor that you used of being a baby that's born again, I can't control getting back into a womb. This has got to be wrong. Because what you're asking for is outside of my capacity to produce. And I'm pretty sure that I'm right. And you're wrong about this Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says listen unless you're a helpless baby you cannot understand God's kingdom unless you come to me that helpless it's not gonna happen for you and what Jesus did in that moment was he put a finger on the very problem that that whole culture had. They believed that they could, through their effort, through their work, they could gain God's approval based on what they did. They could gain God's blessing. They believed that they controlled their spiritual destiny by how they chose to live, how righteous they were. All of this stuff counted for them. They, had, they had did all of these good deeds. They had all of these rules that they followed. They made up rules to follow to prove that they were more righteous than everybody else. They had this going. And Jesus looks at them. And one little metaphor, he says Unless you're as helpless as a baby before me, unless you're as helpless and reliant on God as a baby, you just won't get it. Why is he making this point? Well um, let's consider what a baby is for just a second. What can a baby do for itself? But like this kid right here looks happy, you know what he's doing right now? (laughs) He's filling his diaper. Why? Because he has no bowel control whatsoever. He just goes whenever he wants and he's happy when he does it. You clean up after me, dog, on it. Like when they get hungry, do you look at them and say, hey, I just need you to wait for 15 minutes and it'll be okay. You're going to get some food in a short time. They're going to scream their head off because there's no delayed gratification whatsoever in that child's life. I want what I want right now. We talk about babies like they have a choice. We'll go up to a pregnant mom and say, when's the baby coming out? The baby didn't stay in there forever if it could. The only reason it's out is because the mom gets so tired of it. It's like, you got to get out of here. Right? The baby didn't make any of those choices. It never makes any of those choices. It's helpless. That is, that is offensive for us to think that we might have to be that helpless in the face of God Almighty. It was offensive for their culture who believed that what they did was what earned them what they were going to be given from God. And I'm telling you, it's not not a lot of different in our culture. We have this idea that you can work hard for what God's going to give you. And none of that was true. And Jesus starts pressing up against this This idea that, no, Jesus, I think you have this wrong. If you can't control it, it's the wrong picture. And Jesus looks at him in verse 5 and says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. You're born as a baby, and there is a birth that happens in your spiritual life. And if you don't have both of these, Nicodemus you don't have anything. This is, this is surprising to Nicodemus because he was convinced that having been born once by a woman, that all of his effort would then add up to something that would obligate God to love and care for him. And this is new. This is news to him. He can't believe it. Jesus goes on, verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And then he says this in verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Please notice. He does not say, you should not not be uh, misunderstanding this. Or you should not be confused by my saying this. Nicodemus knows exactly what Jesus is saying. He's surprised. Other translations say he's shocked. I'm shocked. You're proposing a completely different way for me to go about living. A way I've never heard before. And then Jesus uses this example, which is kind of double meaning because the spirit, um, that means wind. And so then he uses this. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you do not control your spiritual destiny. You are not the one, based on what you do and how you do it, that gets to determine the outcome of your life. The Spirit does something, and you respond to it, but you don't control it. You can can line up with it, but you're not its master. Look at his response in verse 9. How can this be? Those are heavy words. These are the words of a guy who has been living his life the same way for decades, who was convinced that he had spirituality figured out, and he's been confronted with a new reality. You are not in control, Nicodemus. And he doesn't know what to make of it. What about all these good deeds that I've been storing up? I mean, Pharisees, they did these good deeds in public so that people would know just how righteous they were. And he's been doing this for a long time. He's he's old enough to be on the, the council. And he's got all of this built up stuff. He's got all of this energy invested in following the rules. These were God's laws. But there were so many more that they had added so that they could prove that they were somehow righteous, better people than everybody else. And so they added up all of these rules. And he was following them all, man. He invested his time and life and energy into that. To find out means nothing. It's not going to get me what I thought it was going to get me. He thought he had a chance to obligate God to love and care for him. He truly believed, as a Pharisee, that he was better than other people because of all of those things that he kept track of and counted. And in one brief conversation, Jesus undermines it all and says, the way that you've thought that you could add value to your life, is all wrong. And unless you come to me helpless, you've got nothing. 2,000 years have passed. I don't think much has changed. I still talk to people, some of them in church, who are convinced that if they give all of their effort to follow the rules that they see in the scriptures, that God will bless them. And that's why they're doing it. I, I can obligate God to bless me by following the rules. I've, I've met followers of Jesus who've made up more So that they could point to their righteousness as they follow this. And look at everybody else who's not doing what I'm doing. I obviously love God more. And because of that, I know I'm better people. And because I'm better, God will like me. And can I just tell you, you're making a massive mistake when you decide that you are going to be the person who controls your spiritual destiny with the outcomes of your life. But I've talked to others. Some in church, some out of church, who've decided the way to go is to do all kinds of good stuff in their community, in their, in their homes, with their family and friends. And they're, and they're keeping track. And they've decided that if I've got a scale going on and I can get enough good to weigh down the scale because I know I've got some junk in my life. If I get enough good, God will approve of me. He'll like me. He'll accept me. This will all, all work out in the end. And they invest all of their energy and their time in being good. You've decided to take your spiritual destiny on your own shoulders. I see it happening in our culture, too. There's this social conscientiousness that's going on. It's not all wrong, but it's kind of messed up in some ways, too, because there's there's almost this desire to prove to people that I think and act a certain way, and because of that, I'm better. The The whole political correct movement is based on this idea that I can prove to you that I think... And have the right beliefs that are better than you. And because of that, I've earned some sort of merited favor with either a class of people, maybe even with God himself. And I wonder, in fact, I th- I'm pretty sure that if Jesus were here, The words that he said to Nicodemus would be the same words he would deliver to us this morning. Be careful. You don't see at all. When you believe that you control the destiny of your spiritual life based on the stuff that you think you can do to earn God's favor and approval... You don't actually understand this kingdom that God's putting together, this kingdom that relies on you coming to him helpless and saying, I can't, I can't make up for all the bad stuff that I've done. I can't get over on top of that. I am doomed without you. And unless you rescue me, unless you pick me up, I can't solve this. I'm helpless. Without you, I'm in trouble. See, it had dawned on Nicodemus that that was the truth. And Nicodemus was wrestling with whether he was going to accept that truth or not. Am I going to accept that all the stuff that I do doesn't matter? Blair, does the stuff I do don't matter? Oh, it does. I want to tell you what matters more, your motivation Your motivation matters more. See, when I decide that I'm going to live a life that's righteous and honoring and good, I'm doing that out of a grateful heart because I was helpless before my life sin and God rescued me. And because he rescued me out of a grateful heart, I honor and love him and I live a certain way. That's different than choosing to be a righteous person who believes that I'm going to add up all of my righteousness at the end and God will somehow feel obligated to honor what I've done. There are different motives. And I would want you to be careful. A prophet once said this. It's kind of a beautiful uh, kind of thing in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, He said, all of us have become like one who is unclean. We're all unclean. We've all found that place where we're messed up. And then he says this, and all our righteous acts are filthy rags. See, he had the right perspective. The Pharisees at the time, some of us in this room at the time, Have believed that our righteous acts, our good deeds, our following the rules are what really matters and what really counts to making sure that God likes us is acceptable with us. And you haven't understood that all of those righteous acts, they're they're worthless. They're garbage. They don't get you what you think they get you. We come to God as helpless beings who basically, we don't do any of the heavy lifting. God did it all on our behalf. Sent a son who died on a cross for us. His sacrifice was the big price that was paid. And then he comes to you and says, listen, I'm going to offer you a gift. You have a shot at a new life, a spiritual start over, a redo, a new start with your life. All you have to do is accept this. All you have to do is accept that you're helpless without what I have done on your behalf. I, I want you to listen to a song. And then I want to come up and I want to close the service. I think the song does a really good job of painting a picture of just how loving God has been towards us. How He has done the hard work And that really all it comes down to is whether you're willing to hear the words of Jesus that says you're helpless. You're helpless like a baby unless you reach out for what God's done for you. I want you to listen to this real quick. I want to talk to two different groups of people. See, I... I've been in enough conversations with a group this size to know that there are there are some in here who were just convinced that the spiritual destiny of their lives was in their hand. They get to choose the direction. And you have been stacking up good stuff. You've been trying to follow the rules. You've been trying to do all the good things, and you missed that what you needed to do instead was to see yourself as a helpless baby. See, we all need this idea of being born again and Jesus points out why. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't earn it. You can't get God's approval based on what you do. And this morning if that's dawning on you, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you just to admit that to God. God, I've been doing this on my own, thinking I had the right way. Forgive me for that. I come to you and ask you for the gift of life that you're offering. I'm going to take it. You did all the heavy lifting. And as a helpless person, I just want that gift, that gift of life, that gift of love commit myself to following Jesus if you, guys could you bring up uh, the lights in the house just a little bit if you could keep your eyes closed and your heads down a little more I gotta be able to see thanks if you if you found yourself in that place this morning where you thought you were doing it on your own and you've realized it was a mistake and you want to change directions this morning, would you look up and meet me, like, look me in the eye and tell me I'm making a decision that I'm helpless, that I need God right now. I got you. Got you. Yep. Yes. You're not going to do it On your own, you're not going to earn it anymore. It's going to be a gift. I want to talk to another group of you, too. You were here. You've been a follower of Jesus for a while. And somewhere along that path, you started trying to earn it along the way and this morning you remembered the cost of that gift to you and out of a grateful heart you want to return you want to return back to living the kind of life that honors God not because of what you'll earn from it but out of gratitude and love you want to honor him by the way you live if that's you this morning Could you just give me? Could you just look me in the face so I can affirm? Yeah. Yep, I got you. Yep. Thanks. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. Go ahead and take the lights down again. If you're willing to hear and listen to what Jesus has to say, it could change your life. Instead of getting on the rat race where you're trying to stack up all the good stuff that you do so that God will like you, you will realize that He loved you already. That He's offering you a new way to live. Guys, would you play that last part of the song real quick and then I'll close. Don't leave here this morning if the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart. Don't shut it down, listen to it, pay attention. If you need to talk with somebody, staff is available. Wanna have conversations to help you process what's going on, but I wanna pray for you as we dismiss. God, how good of a God you have been we make all these mistakes that just pile up in our life. And somewhere along the path, we, we assume that we have got to undig ourselves before you can really have anything to do with us. And so we go to work. We work. We're a country where we work hard. And we get lost in that work and we miss you. You did the heavy lifting. Your son went to the cross, took our sin. We are helpless to do this stuff on our own, and until we can accept that, the way we live means nothing. God, I ask that you would well up hearts that have a desire to honor you, not to earn anything, but out of love and gratitude for the gift of life that you gave may it change the way we live period may our lives honor you may it be reflected in the way we think in the way we speak may we remember what this this gift cost love you so grateful go with us God for those who are still wrestling I ask that your spirit would be on them active in their hearts don't let them rest until they deal with this in Jesus name Amen